We're so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Matthew Brown, and I am the college and young adults pastor here at Rolling Hills. We're currently in our series, The Greatest Adventure, and today we are in Exodus 12, the story of the liberation of the Israelites. Our God is a God of freedom, and we hope that today's sermon encourages you of that promise. Now, here's Pastor Jason. Well, I've certainly already had fun this morning. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, if you're not enjoying what's here this morning, I really don't know what else we can do. I mean, God is here and God loves you and God has a plan for your life. And I'm just so thankful that you are here with us this morning. And what a better place to be than in the house of God, the Father's house with other uh, brothers and sisters. Maybe you're here for the very first time today. A special welcome to you. I'm so grateful that you're here and God is doing something so special here. And I'm just truly humbled that we all get to be a part of it. And I uh, am first and foremost humbled that God... uh, Uh, invites me into this work and and excited about what he's going to do today. Now, I like to play games. Is there anybody else that likes to play games in the room? Big, big fan of games. And one of my favorite games isn't actually even a board game at all. It's just a game that you play kind of in a group setting. And I like to call it Remember When. It's remember when, when you just kind of sit around and reflect up on all the funny things that have happened or the kind of crazy moments that happen, whatever the case might be. In fact, I love large extended family gatherings because that's what we tend to do is we laugh about all the things that happened over the previous years. I love to get together with coworkers and, and laugh and reflect upon all of the things that have happened. And so with that said, I thought that I would start this morning with a little segment that I like to call Things I Remember from My Childhood that I thought would be a huge deal as an adult, but have yet to be problematic, okay? So let me repeat that for you. Things that I remember from my childhood that I thought would be a huge deal as an adult, but have yet to be problematic, such as the Bermuda Triangle. When I was a kid... I was scared to death of the Bermuda Triangle. I mean, there's, probably, there's kids in the room today, and you guys may not even have heard of the Bermuda Triangle, but it was something that had elicited so much fear in me. I mean, it was like if you get on an airplane, you hope you don't fall in the Bermuda Triangle. You know, if you're in Florida, don't get too far off the coast because, you know, Bermuda Triangle might pull you in. And it was just this irrational fear that I had of the Bermuda Triangle. I do not have any fears of that anymore as an adult. Or how about this one? How about the ozone layer? In the 80s and 90s, all the public service announcements were like, don't use aerosol, ozone layer, all these things. Somebody correct me after the service, but is there still a hole there? I don't know because we don't talk about it anymore. I don't know if it's anything I should be afraid of. When I was in fourth grade, you know, I did a presentation on acid rain and the ozone and it was like a big deal. And now in adulthood, We don't talk about it anymore, so I don't know if I should be concerned. How about this one? Killer bees. As a kid, I mean, I was so concerned that I was going to step outside and there was going to be this swarm of killer bees that were going to come. And again, 40 years in in my life, that has not ever been an issue. Speaking of outside, quicksand. I mean, you could not watch a TV show in the 80s and 90s without a quicksand scene. I mean, people were falling in quicksand all the time. I grew up in the country and I thought to myself, I got to be careful because when I'm out hiking, you know, quicksand. And again, it's, it's just never been anything that I've had to deal with personally besides seeing it on TV. And then last but certainly not least, I had this fear and my junior high math teacher instilled this fear in me that you are not always going to have a calculator. So you need to learn this math.
I say, take that, Miss Johnson. You know, <laughs> we do have a calculator, and it is in my pocket at all times. And so it is ready to go. Now, all joking aside, it's fun to reflect, isn't it? It's fun to remember. It's fun to reflect upon all the things that happen because they're, they're, they're enjoyable. It's meaningful. But from a spiritual perspective, I've also found this, and you're going to see it this morning in your text. From a spiritual perspective, I've also seen that it's really helpful to reflect. And it's really helpful to remember because when we remember, what we begin to do is we begin to see God's fingerprints at every juncture of the way. And in fact, in this text that we're in in The Greatest Adventure, what you're going to see not only today but next week and throughout the course of the remainder of this series is that God wants us to reflect. God wants us to remember. He wants us to take note of all of the things that he has done because when we do that, we begin to see his hand at work all throughout the future. So know that I'm excited that you're here today as we dig into this next part of the story of the life of Moses. But maybe you're here with us for the first time today and you need kind of a, re, a, a, kind of a reaffirmation of everything that we've heard or maybe you've never heard this story before and you kind of need to hit some of the highlights. And so what's happened prior to this exact point? So what's happened prior to this moment that we're going to read here in just a moment is that the Israelites have been in captivity by the Egyptians. And God has called Moses as a leader to deliver the people of Israel. He's called to set them free. But Pharaoh, who was the evil leader of the Egyptians, didn't listen to what Moses said. He didn't listen to God. God brought plague after plague after plague. There were nine plagues before the plague of death, and God was trying to get, atten- God's trying to get Pharaoh's attention with all of those plagues, and he just simply was not paying attention. So the last and final plague was the plague of death. And it came so that every firstborn son of Egypt was taken, but not so with the Israelites. They were instructed to slaughter a lamb and to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost of their house. And when God came through the camps, he passed over the house of the Israelites because the blood was there over the doorpost. And it's a beautiful foreshadowing. A beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us. His blood was shed and his his life was sacrificed so that we could have life and we believe in him, then that that means that we are made right with God, that if we place our faith in him and, and commit to follow him, then that blood of Jesus Christ washes away all of our sins. So what God is teaching us in this moment is that he made a way for us to be made right, but he didn't want us to move on so quickly that we forget all of his work in the midst of everything that he is doing. So that's where we pick up today in Exodus chapter 12. And so I'm going to be jumping around several different verses because I don't have enough time to read to you every verse of Exodus chapter 12, 13, and 14. So I trust that you'll kind of be able to follow along with us. And I'll be sure to give you the references so you know exactly where we are. They're going to be up here on the screen as well. A lot of them are printed there for you in your worship guide. But we're going to start in Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. And, and kind of go on from there. So starting in verse 31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And also bless me. Down to verse 37. So the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, and there were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. And with the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast, because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. 
And at the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. And on this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. Down to verse 50. So all the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. And finally, over to chapter 13. Verse 3, so then Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Aviv, you are, leave, you are leaving. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast. And on the seventh day, hold a festival to to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. And on that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. So according to this text, God delivers the Israelites from Egypt out of slavery into the first journey of the promised land. We're promised the land flowing with milk and honey, but you guys saw it right there. They didn't get to the land flowing with milk and honey day one. They have to go through a series of wilderness. And just for context purposes, there's 600,000 plus people on this journey. That's only 600,000 men. So when you start adding women and children plus all of the livestock that is traveling with them, I mean, we're well over a million people undoubtedly, that are making this journey. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. I mean, imagine leading 100 people in a journey into the desert, more or less a million people. Just for context purposes, how many people is a million people? If you go to a game down at Nissan Stadium where the Titans play, full capacity is 69,143 people. So times that by 15, and we're at a million plus. So 15 full stadiums of people that you are moving from the lush green Nile riverbanks into the hot, dry, arid desert. Yeah, sign me up. Doesn't sound like a job that anybody would want. They had been held captive for 430 years, and God brings them out overnight. And they're told on this first occurrence, that they're, they're there, the first occurrence to commemorate the day. And in fact, Jews still celebrate this today. And this is what God wants us to remember. In fact, you see it here on your notes. And it's, this, this passage speaks to this so beautifully. Remembering what God has done encourages you for what he'll do in the future. Maybe you've seen this in your own life. When you remember what God has done... It encourages you for what he will do in the future. Remembering what God has done encourages you for what he will do in the future. It's why verse 8 is so significant. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. We took our kids to an amusement park, water park combo up in Kentucky a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going to tell you how to have a really good time at an amusement park or a really bad time, depending on whatever your fancy is. If you really want to have a good time, if you have a child that's maybe a little bit more timid like we do, you've got to start out slow. You will ruin your day if you put them on the largest roller coaster that you can find right out of the gate. Why? Because it instills fear. But in our case, what we decide is we have the best day possible if I find the merry-go-round first and we go up to the roller coasters from there. 
And it's not unlike our spiritual life. Now, I said this illustration in the second service, and there was actually a kid in the room who raised his hand and said, no, I want to do the large roller coasters first. So maybe that's where some of you guys are as well. But there's something to building some confidence over time. And it's what God is trying to get us to understand through this text. When you remember what he has done, then you know that what's ahead isn't all that scary. Is it unknown? Sure. Is it going to be challenging? Absolutely. But you don't have to be held captive by fear because you've built over time a remembrance of what he has done. See, God brought the Israelites out of captivity, but he also brought plagues up on the Egyptians. He brought freedom, and now he's brought them into the wilderness. Uh, yet another place where they're going to be tested. Another place where they're going to see, do we trust God or do we trust ourselves? Because he brought them out of captivity, but he brought them into wilderness. Most biblical scholars would say, and folks who do tours and who are experts in the Holy Land, which I have yet to have a chance to go see physically with my own eyes. Some of you, I'm sure, have. But I've talked to many people who have been there, and one of the things that they say is that when you're in the wilderness, most guides who are there say that, on average, you know, for those of us who didn't have any kind of um, training, those of us that don't have resources or food or water, that we would last the maximum of about two days in this wilderness. This is how desolate this is. And that's where their journey starts. But yet, what gives them the motivation to continue or what should give them the motivation to continue is to see everything that God has already done. And when you see all that God's already done, it allows you to step forward knowing he's got you for the next part of the journey. And the same is true for you. The exact same thing is true for you. Some of you have experienced healing in your life. And as a result of that, the next thing that you go through, you don't stress about it because you know that he's healed you before. Some of you have trusted God in a way that you've never trusted him before. Maybe it's with finances or maybe it's with resources or maybe it's your marriage or whatever the case might be. And you trust God with it and you see what he does. And so then the next time that something happens, you're able to be able to say, God's got this. Why? Because he had it then and he had it back then. And he had it back then, so I don't worry about will he have it in the future. Maybe it's the days that you spend with God. You start your days off with God, opposed to the days you don't start your day off with God. And you get to the end of the day and you realize, yeah, I need to spend all my days starting with God. It just shows you over time a pattern of him being faithful, 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 faithful. The same can be said about rolling hills. I could stand up here for hours and tell you stories about what God has done in his perfect timing in the life of this ministry. And I don't ever get tired of sharing the stories. And in fact, the Bible gives me permission today to share a couple with you. So may I? Yes. To remember what he has done. I remember back in 2016, we were looking for a place to start our transition, our campus here to Nolensville. And we were looking for a school. And I was calling every school here in the area. And the school that uh, we ended up landing at was Nolensville Elementary School. We had a wonderful relationship over there for a couple of years. But I remember the day that I called. It was in the spring of 2016. And on that specific day, there were actually a handful of other churches that had called also saying, can we use the school for the meeting. And I don't say that we got it because we went out and we beat the rest of the competition. That's not what I'm intending to say at all. But I got a call back from the principal and she said three different churches called on one specific day. And you were the first one to call. So if you guys want to meet here, you can meet here. Well, praise God that we were lucky. Lucky. Yeah, right. And it was a beautiful partnership. 
And God began a journey that can only be described by him. And then we were getting near the end of our contract where we could be meeting at Nolensville Elementary School. And we were turning over every stone that we could possibly find about a place to meet here in Nolensville in a way that God could only write the story. We merged with a church called Revive Church that was meeting right in this building that you're setting right now. And through, again, a way that only God could be in the midst of it, in a way that only God could work, our churches came together under the umbrella of Rolling Hills Community Church. And our first Sunday in this building was when we had seven days left on our contract at Nolensville Elementary School. I mean, seven days, that was plenty of time. Plenty of time. (laughs) For God to show up in a way that we couldn't even ask or imagine. And now we're excited about what's going to happen as we continue to expand our campus. And is that scary? Sure. Is that unknown? Sure. Is that going to require us to trust God in a way we've never trusted him before? Absolutely. But does that scare me? No. Not at all. Why? Because I've seen him faithful then. And I remember it. I've seen him faithful today. And I remember it. Meaning what? He's going to be faithful tomorrow. And when you look at this story, it's so easy for us to get a little bit of a case of what I call spiritual amnesia. Anybody ever had any spiritual amnesia before where you start every season of life with this back to square one, will God be faithful? Spiritual amnesia sets in when you forget all of the things that God has already done. Will God be faithful? Of course he will be faithful. We have to trust him though. And when we realize that, that strengthens us for what is ahead. Now, speaking of what is ahead, let's go back to the text. Chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. And the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Down to verse 21. So by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. And neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And when I see this part of the story, it reminds me of this, that God promises you his path is good, but he never promised you that the path would be easy, short, or problem-free. He promised you that the path is good. God promises you time and time again that your path, the path he has for you, is good. He never promised that it would be easy, short, or problem-free. How do we know this? We'll look back at this part of the story. Because immediately God delivers them out of captivity in Egypt, and he takes them not on the shortest path. Did you see it? I'm not making this up. This is not my words. This is God's word. He took them on a longer path. Because he is sovereign and he knew that the shorter path might have brought them into a battle that they were not ready to fight just quite yet. And if I bring them on the shorter path, they may face an encounter that would make them want to quit and go back to Egypt. So what God decided to do was take them the longer path, put them on a detour. And what was ahead of them in the detour? A big body of water. Well, that makes sense. God, you protected me from a potential battle over here, but you detoured me towards a, bottle, a, a, a body of water, and we have no boats. God says the path is good. He doesn't say it's easy. He doesn't say it's problem-free. He doesn't even say that it's going to be short. There's a lot of precedent in Scripture for God working very quickly. There's also a lot of precedent in Scripture for God working very quickly slowly. 
There is no precedent in Scripture, however, for God doing anything but being good and holy and righteous and faithful to you. So if God has you on a path right now that might seem a little bit longer than you would want it to be, have you ever given thought to the fact that maybe he's protecting you from a battle you can't see just quite yet? That's what he was doing for them. Maybe you're on a season of life right now that you don't want to be in, and it might be because God is trying to flesh out something in your life right now that could only happen in the wilderness. And he's trying to refine something in your life that can only come in a season of wilderness. Or maybe there's an adversity in your life right now and God is saying, I want to see if you will trust me or lean on your own power. Because I'm refining in you and making you more and more like Christ. Craig Rochelle has an amazing quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. I say it frequently in sermons. I'm saying it today. I'm going to say it in the future. In fact, it's one of the mantras that I seek to live my life with. And he says, and I quote, you can have faith or you can have control. You can't have both. You got to pick. They don't run on parallel tracks. Choose today. Do you want to live a life of faith or do you want to live a life of control? And there's not many intersections between those two. So look at what happens. I don't have time to read out all the text, but if you keep going in chapter 14, you're going to get to verse 5, and what's going to happen is that Pharaoh and the Egyptians change their mind. Now, how do they change their mind, you think? Do you think that their change of mind means that they just fall down and worship God and say, yes, God, we want to worship you? No, they change their mind because they realize what they've done, and they say, we can't let the Israelites go. Let's chase after them. And so Pharaoh and all the army, they get 600 chariots of horses, weapons of war, and begin chasing after the Israelites. And you guys keep in mind where the Israelites are. What are they heading towards? A body of water. And what's coming up behind them? 600 snorting horses. This is a lose-lose situation from our human perspective. But God had a plan. Chapter 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out into Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And I'm quick to criticize them, but I love the humanity. I love the authenticity. I love the vulnerability. And if I'm honest, I would have probably been in their boat. And I would have probably said some of the things that they did. Why? Because they took their eyes off God. And this is what happens when you take your eyes off God. When you take your eyes off God, they usually divert to one of your problems. They do. And what happened here is they took their eyes off God, and what it diverted to was Red Sea in front, chariots of war coming in behind. We are pinned in the middle. There's no way out. It didn't matter that God had already delivered them. It didn't matter that God had instructed them to put blood over the doorpost of their house. And by doing that, God passed over and saved all of their firstborn sons. It didn't matter that God had brought plagues, but protected them because the enemy was closing in. They took their eyes off of God and they look at their leader and say, you have brought us out here to die. I mean, we're going to die So at least we could have died over there and not have died here. It would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. When I take my eyes off of God, the enemy gets all the glory. When I take my eyes off of God, the trappings of this world look appealing all of a sudden. 
When I take my eyes off of God, the things that the world tells me, the lies that the world tells me begin to saturate my mind because I take my eyes off of God. And the enemy comes in and snatches all that blank space up. Some of you are in the housing market right now. Bless you. Those of you trying to buy a house right now, I mean, I don't really do not envy you because it's like just absurd. Because if you wanted to buy the house, you had to buy it four days ago. You know, like you had to buy it four days before you ever thought about even needing a house. Because what happens, a house hits the market and you can't say, let's go look at it and reflect upon it for a couple moments. Why there's any space that's left, somebody snatches in and grabs it from you. And it's kind of like any space in our life that gets unchecked. And what happens, any part of my life, my mind, my heart, my eyes, my thoughts, anything that I just kind of say, you know what, I'm just going to take a break and not really devote all of that to Jesus, what happens? The enemy comes in and sucks that space up. And it's what he was doing here because God had been so faithful time and time and time again. And yet it's so quick for them to look at their obstacles and think those are more powerful than God. I unfortunately see this all the time with people where they take a season or a part of their life and they choose to just kind of leave it a little bit unchecked thinking that it's not really going to matter. You know, I can kind of move away from Christian community for a while. It's not going to matter. I can kind of go, quote, unquote, do my own thing. I don't know if I really need to be around other people. I'm not really sure that the Bible is, you know, really, I mean, I'm sure it's a good book, but I don't know if I really devote time to it. And what happens over time is you take a little break over here and it wreaks havoc in the long run. And friends, I love you enough to tell you the truth. I have seen it personally wreak havoc in so many people's life because the enemy is there and sin is there. You take your eyes off God and you begin to think, yeah, just like the, Isra- just like the Israelites, it would have just been better to die than to grow in God. But God shows us a better way. God has a better plan for us as we lead this adventure that he's called us to lead. Back to the text, chapter 14, verse 13. Moses answered the people. Keep in mind what they had just said was it would have been better to die over in Egypt. And Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You see this here in your notes, but sometimes the best course of action is to stay the course. Just be still. The best course of action is to stay the course. Be still and just say, I'm going to stay the course. See, the Lord will fight for you. According to chapter 14, verse 14, you only need to be still. Now look at Moses' specific commands here. Because there's some interesting commands. The first of which he tells them is don't be afraid, which is a very popular refrain in Scripture. Do not be afraid. I mean, it comes up hundreds of times for us to not be afraid. In fact, Moses' successor, Joshua, needed to be reminded of this a lot. Don't be afraid. Have courage. Then Moses says, I want you to stand firm, meaning you don't have to be swayed by every little thing. Some of you have been to the beach this summer, and isn't a palm tree just amazing? That they stand firm in in all of the weight and all of the wind and all of those things. And it's like, we need to be a tree that is firmly planted, staying firm. And then he says, my favorite part of this is when he says, the Egyptians are bearing down on you, but this is going to be the last time you see them. 
what an incredible promise. Your enemy is coming, but it will be the last time that you see them. Now, if I'm the Israelites, I'm probably thinking, water in front of me, Egyptians coming behind me. Yeah, this is the last time I'm going to see anybody, including myself. I mean, this is the last time I'm going to see my sweet grandma over here. I mean, we are all doomed because there is no hope in this situation. God said, no, this will be the last time that you see them pursuing you. And then he said, God is fighting for you, so you just need to be still. Now, by a show of hands, is there anybody in the room that struggles to be still? Wow. Yeah, more than any other service. Congratulations. So, um, so great. Y'all are my people. Uh, I struggle to be still. See, I come from a generation of busybodies. You know, my grandmother and grandfather, they just tinkered with everything, hands and everything. That got passed on to my parents, which meant... It got passed on to me, which means I have passed it on to my children as well. We just like things. You know, always have our hands in something, always staying busy, always doing something, and nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But often, that kind of frantic activity bleeds over into your spiritual life, and you think that God needs all that frantic activity. When in essence, what he's saying, no, just be still because I am fighting for you. What God didn't need to be reminded of in this moment, it was the wilderness. God didn't need to be reminded of the heat. God didn't need to be reminded of the desert. He didn't need to be reminded of the water in front of them. He certainly didn't need to be reminded of the Egyptians bearing down on them. He said, rather, be still because the Lord is fighting for you. I'd be the first to say that staying the course, remaining faithful, being true, staying true to what God has called you to do. Guys, I don't have to tell you this, but you live in a culture right now where that is so underrated. It is so underrated to stay the course and be faithful. I love reading leadership books, leadership blogs. I'm in the presence of many incredible leaders and entrepreneurs and vice presidents of companies and business owners. And we're always trying to better ourselves and always trying to learn and grow. And what I realize, though, is when you go to Amazon and you search for leadership books about staying the course and being faithful, it's not many hits. But search for books on vision and big dreams and doing things that nobody has ever done before. You get thousands of hits. Are anything wrong with that? Not at all. Nothing wrong with that. I love vision. I love big thinking. I love working hard. I love the busyness. All of that is amazing. But all of that somehow still has to fit in this overall guiding principle that God wants us to live by, which is, I am fighting for you. So be still. Just be still. There's likely a person in the room right now that God's yearning to do business with in connection to this truth, and you just need to commit Psalm 46.10 to memory. Part of that verse is, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. The Jason version of that is, shut your mouth and listen. Take time to see what God wants to do in your life before you remind him of all the things that you bring into the equation. Just be quiet and listen. Allow God to speak to you. And then ultimately see what's happened. Verse 21, then Moses 
stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and he turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud of the Egyptian army, and he threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Don't you love when the enemy acknowledges that God is the one doing the fighting? So the Lord is fighting for them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it. And the Lord swept them up in the sea. And the water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But... The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. What this reminds me of is that God is always doing the work. You see this here on your notes. God is always doing the work. I should be growing in faith. God is always doing the work. And I should be growing in faith. God is the one doing the work. God is the one saving the Israelites. God is the one protecting them. God is the one defeating the battle for them. They have to be still and fight. But I have to grow in faith, and I have to take those steps. Do not diminish how much faith it would have taken to do what the Israelites just did. Again, it's easy for me to criticize them, but you put me in front of a Red Sea, and I see the water parting up on both sides. God, it would have been a lot easier for you to build a bridge. I mean, a bridge would have been easier. I mean, God can do everything. God, why didn't you build a bridge? Because that way, at least we could have just kind of went over it. Or God, you're sovereign and all-powerful. Why couldn't you just bring one of them clouds down? I mean, we had these clouds flying around. Why couldn't one of them just we can hop on it and be like little <laughs> angels floating across? I mean, that would have been easier. But no, he parted the sea, and they had to walk through the middle of it. So God is the one that's working But I have to be taking steps of faith. You're never going to see the mighty hand of God move in your life without taking a step of faith. Just doesn't work that way. We don't get to see all of these incredible things happen without taking a step of faith. I would venture to say that there's probably very few people in the room that disagree with the statement, God is good and God is working. Most of us probably agree with that. Yeah, God is good and God is working. Completely different equation when we say, yeah, God is good and God is working, but he also calls me to take a step of faith for him. That my faith has to be activated to go out into these levels of the water that I've never experienced before. I have to be bold. So you don't experience freedom in Jesus Christ without faith. Faith is the key ingredient to knowing Jesus. Faith is the key ingredient for your life to be made whole with Jesus. So you see in this text that God works and I move. God works and your faith hopefully increases. God works and I seek to respond. So I don't know what it is that God might be calling you to respond to this morning, but I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Because in this moment of worship and a spirit of reflection... I just simply want to ask you, what is the Lord wanting to do in your life? Because he's here. He's here with us in this place. And I hope that you feel it, that you feel and that you know 
that the Holy Spirit is here. And whatever it is, whatever that might be, just know that it's good and that God loves you and that God has a plan for you. Don't let the fact that the journey that's ahead for you is, maybe it's a little bit um, more difficult than you thought it would be. Or maybe it's just tiring. And maybe it's preventing you from experiencing all that God wants you to experience. And if that's where you are this morning, I want you to just simply be still. Just be still. Because he's the one who is fighting for you. Or you know what, maybe it's been a while since you've just reflected and remembered all that he has done. And if it has, maybe in a moment of worship, you would just praise him. Praise him for all that he's done. Praise him for his faithfulness over your life. Praise him for the ways that he's moved in immeasurably more ways than you could ever ask or imagine. Or maybe you're here and it's just... There's just strength that's needed for the journey that's ahead. And you really relate to the story of the Israelites because you see one obstacle in front of you, one obstacle to your right, one obstacle to your left, and one obstacle behind you, and they're just suffocating you right now. Know that God wants to help you break free of those chains. He wants to help you break free of those things that are weighing you down. And so wherever you might be this morning, I pray that You would respond to God that you wouldn't leave this place this morning without allowing God to do the business in your heart that he wants to do because he's here. He's good. His plan is good. It's holy. It can be trusted. So God, find us faithful in this time of worship. As we respond to you, as we sing to you, as we seek to live lives for you, I pray, God, that you would meet us here and that you would do what you desire to do in our life. I pray that we would come humbly, that we would open up our hearts and our minds and say, God, please come have free reign to work in my life so that I can be who you have called me to be as I seek to live this greatest adventure of faith that you have put in front of me. Thank you, God, in advance for what you're going to do as we continue to worship you. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, Rolling Hills Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.